We are in Judges, uh, chapter 9, verse 7 to verse 21. Uh, hopefully you should have the outline, uh, but I'm afraid we would have given you one. Uh, sorry for having that a bit late, uh, but the outline is helpful for you to follow along uh, as we go through Judges. Uh, this evening we are talking about leadership. Uh, does leadership matter? And most importantly, how should we go about choosing leaders in our lives? How should we go about choosing leaders in the church, choosing leaders in the local community, choosing leaders at work, and leaders, of course, in the country? Uh, last month, Lord Harris of Peckham, uh, who you probably don't know, I only found out there's a Lord of Peckham, but there is one, uh, apparently is one of the largest donors in the Conservative Party. Last month, early September, he said some rather unkind things about the Prime Minister, Theresa May. Uh, he said, Theresa May is a hopeless leader of a weak government. And he reminded her that she was no Maggie. She was no Margaret Thatcher. And of course, Theresa May disagrees with that because you remember she ran an election campaign on providing what? Strong and stable leadership. So here we have a contest of narratives. We have Lord Peckham thinking she's weak. She's thinking she's providing strong and stable leadership. Now I'm not asking you this evening to uh, vote with your feet as it were who you side with, whether you are with Lord Peckham or uh, the Prime Minister on our leadership. Uh, my point is simply to draw attention to the fact that all of us have an opinion about what leadership is and, and how it affects us in our lives. But as I've thought about that, at the same time, uh, I have to admit that even though we have an opinion about leadership, a discussion about leadership is not something we all find exciting. Uh, I'm sure you would rather we skipped... Well, maybe, maybe you don't feel that way, but I'm sure there's a temptation. I certainly felt a temptation... Uh, to skip or summarize this bit of judges and move on and see what Abimelech is up to. Uh, but uh, we need to address this question of leadership because it isn't judges. And that is the beauty of preaching the Bible expositionally, verse by verse, because God sets the agenda. Uh, if I had an option, I would have summarized this bit and moved on. But it's here, and we have to deal with it. But the other reason is that God, in his wisdom, wants us to address this, I think, because as we look around this room, uh, everyone here is confronted in a situation in your own lives where you have to choose leaders. Uh, as I said, as a member of this church, you have a responsibility before God to ensure that this church chooses leaders in line with the word of God. And that is not just about choosing elders. When we think of leaders in the church, immediately we think of elders and deacons. But throughout the church, there are leaders. You have a responsibility to choose leaders for Sunday school and ensure that there are leaders in Sunday school uh, are people that God wants there. You have leaders to choose leaders for coffee morning to ensure that those who are leading coffee morning are people who God wants there. You have 
responsibility to choose leaders for stay and play. You have responsibility to choose leaders for hospitality in the church. You have responsibility to choose leaders in many areas. Finances and maintaining the building. And you don't just have responsibility in this church. You have responsibility to choose leaders in the country as well. This passage in front of us has something to say to you about how you vote. It has something to say to you about how you exercise that right to vote. How do you decide who to vote for? And of course, it has something to say to us for those of us who are already leading or perhaps get offered opportunities to lead. How do you decide whether to turn down an offer to lead? This passage has something to say to you about that. I don't know next time somebody asked you to take any, any leading role in any area, which passage of the Bible you went to, but I would suggest that one of the passages certainly you should go to before you give your answer is this passage in Judges. Because all of us, of course, are leaders as well in many areas of our lives. We need to know how God views our leadership. How should leaders be chosen? And what are the consequences of poor leadership? And so, to help us, I think, as I've said, there's no better passage than Judges chapter 9, verse 7 to 21. Uh, you remember this morning we looked at Judges chapter 8, verse 33 to chapter 9, verse 6. And we saw uh, the leaders of Shechem crown Abimelech as their new king. And in that process, Abimelech now has emerged as the preeminent power. In not only in Shechem, we'll see in all Israel. He will rule Israel for three years. He has killed 69 brothers and the sons of his father Gideon. He wanted to murder all of them, but Jotham escaped. And now what's happening is that in the passage before us, uh, Jotham makes a surprising return. He comes from nowhere. Uh, he's escaped, now he's coming. You know, this is very scary what Jotham is doing. Uh, Abimelech wanted to kill him, but he wants to come back and he wants to deliver an important speech to them. He wants to address them over their sin. Look at verse 7. When it was told to Jotham, what they told Jotham was that, um, what they have told him is that Abimelech has been crowned king. When it was told to him, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim. And cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. <laughs> Jotham is about to preach his sermon. This is what we have in front of us. is a sermon from Jotham to the leaders of Shechem. And the subject on his mind is a subject in our mind this evening. How should we choose leaders in our lives? And he's addressing this question and his method, first of all, from verse 8 to verse 15, is to tell them a parable. This is the oldest parable in the Bible. Or some might call it a fable. A parable, fable, I'll let you decide what you're looking at. But he's telling them, I think, a parable. And um, this is the oldest parable in verse 8 to verse 15. He tells a parable. And a bit like how the Lord Jesus Christ used to do some of the parables, we see from verse 16 to verse 20, he gives us practical direction on the meaning of the parable about leadership. 
Now, this is a sermon, so maybe I should just have stood here and coped out this evening, just read the sermon. And of course, Brother Michael has read the sermon uh, for us from Jotham. But I just want to draw your attention, just comment on four points that Jotham makes from, in his sermon about leadership. And to be in front of you, the first point I think Jotham is making in this, uh, in this sermon of his is that everyone needs leaders. All of us, we need leaders. Uh, Jotham's parable in verse 8 uh, concerns trees who desire to have a king. Look at verse 8. So he's now preaching. He says, the trees went out to anoint a king over them. They've gone out, they desire to have a king, and this desire for a king is repeated throughout this parable. Notice that the trees first go to the olive tree with the request. The trees, as they say to the olive tree, reign over us. The olive tree refuses, then we have in verse 9, and verse 9 says to us, but the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance? by which gods and men are honored and go to old swear over the trees. So that the olive has refused. Uh, the, the trees move on to the fig tree with the same request. Look at verse 10. And the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. Again, the fig tree refuses. Look at verse 11. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go to old swear over the trees? Uh, the trees, of course, haven't given up. They approach the vine with the same request in verse 12. And the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. It also refuses. Finally, they go to the bramble, uh, the west of the lot. Uh, look at verse 14. Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And of course, if you're Mr. Bramble, what do you do? Well, yeah. Life has never been better. You accept to be rude. And verse 15 says, And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shed. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Four times in this passage, that phrase is repeated. Reign over us. Reign over us. That's the request the trees are making. And it's not the first time we have come across this phrase. We have already met it in Judges chapter 8, verse 22. Isn't that what the men of Israel said to Gideon? Judges chapter 8, verse 22 said, The men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. And we saw this morning that having made that request, um, Gideon, of course, we, we saw previously Gideon had, had sort, of, sort of mixed messages. Uh, he more or less accepted it and reigned as a king without the title. But we saw this morning that the, the men of Shechem, the leaders of Shechem, have returned to that and they have made Abimelech king. That's where we ended that this morning. Verse 6 in front of us of chapter 9 says, And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. This parable and the surrounding events is drawing our attention to the fact that there is an inner desire in all of us to be under leadership. 
Everyone needs leadership. I don't mean that just in terms of that you need it in your life. You desire leadership. And the reason why we desire leadership is is not simply because it's practically useful to us. We desire to be led because God created us with the need to be led. As Brother Fred noted during his sermon on Titus chapter 1 verse 5, we were created to exist under the leadership of God so that we can lead orderly lives. Sin did not introduce the need for leadership in our lives. It was already there. We were created to be led by God. What happened when sin entered the world is that people rejected the existing leadership of God. We decided to rule ourselves. Now the world is full of poor and unqualified leaders in every area of life. But that does not take away the fact that all of us have this deep need for leadership and we need to be under leadership itself. Why am I belabeling this point? I mean, it seems so obvious. Well, the reason is that we need to remember this point because there's a tendency in all of us to be skeptical about leadership. I mean, when I was at work, I used to be very skeptical about leadership. I would say some people would think I was a bit anti-authoritarian. I think I would probably describe myself as that. I always relished a challenge with the boss. Uh, I think partly that was because uh, people sort of worshipped the boss. Uh, but the boss was actually a friend of mine from university, so I could just tell him what I thought about things that were going in the workplace uh, over lunch. But there is that inner aspect of us where we're a bit skeptical of leadership. I mean, we think, well, you know, what leaders self-serving. And some of that come from our bad experience with other leaders we have encountered in different areas of our lives. So we need to remember and keep this truth in perspective that leadership, we have this desire for leadership. Jotham here is not criticizing the desire for us to be under leadership, no. His concern is that we should choose leaders to lead us in our lives, in the work of God and everywhere God has placed us, that are in line with God's purposes. His concern is about how we choose leaders not whether we should be under leadership. Because the fact is, we all desire to be under leadership. It's a fact of life. That brings us to Jotham's second point. Jotham's second point is that not everyone is qualified to lead us. So point number one is that everyone needs leaders. But we need to remember, not everyone is qualified to lead us. You notice in this parable that before the trees settle on the bramble, they go to the olive, they go to the fig tree, and they go to the vine. Did you notice how these three trees respond to the trees? Look at verse 9. Verse 9, the olive says, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored, and go to old swear over the trees? Verse 11, the fig tree said, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit, and go to old swear over the trees? Verse 13, uh, the vine says, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and man and go to old swear over the trees? What each of these responses is telling us is that they are saying to the trees, Look, thank you for the offer, but I am not qualified. It's great what you're asking me to do, but I am not qualified to do this. Why? Because it is not the purpose for which God has placed me in this world. 
Let us note carefully here that none of the trees say, I don't want to do anything. None of them say that. You see, sometimes we refuse to answer the call to leadership out of sheer laziness. There are times when we don't want to do any, what, what, what God has clearly equipped us to do. Not because we've got other things to do, but because we're lazy. It is very easy for me to cloak my laziness in some form of humility. It's very easy for me to say, oh, I can't do that, other people are better. When, in fact, really what I'm communicating to, what I know in my heart is that I'm just being lazy. That is not how the olive and the fig and the vine is. They have only refused to do this because they are busy serving God and man already. And they genuinely believe they are better equipped in other areas than in this area. They are already doing what they are most gifted and qualified to do. And they are very happy doing it. And they don't want to stop doing that. And that's a wonderful thing. And don't miss here their contentment. Uh, They have recognized that just because we can have a high position or authority does not mean we should necessarily choose it. We should be suitable for that position we are being placed in. There should be evidences of us being equipped for that. And if we are not suitable for it, we should rightly embrace obscurity rather than the firm of leadership. See, friends, too many of us like the glory of leadership, of being seen when our lives and gifts already disqualify us from the call of leadership. We must not be like the bramble, who is the least qualified and yet is front of the queue. He doesn't have the sense of humility to decline. Look at verse 14 to verse 15. Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the tree, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shed. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. And the bramble takes this opportunity to grab power for himself. Uh, he's been waiting for this. He's like just a little shrub. No one should take him seriously. And all of a sudden, power has come knocking on his door. And he exploits his desire for leadership through thuggery. And Jotham, through this parable, is warning us that anyone, that not anyone, rather, is qualified to lead us. Even though they may be available to us. We need to keep that thought in your mind as we move on. Not everybody is qualified to lead us, even though they may be available to lead us. This raises, of course, an important point. Why is, that, why is it such a big deal? Does it matter whether we choose unqualified leaders in our lives? Yes, we know unqualified leaders will burn us in the end, but is there more to it other than just the fact that things may go wrong if we have such leaders? Well, there is more, actually. There is more. And that brings us to Jotham's third sermon point at Mount Gerizim. His third point is that deliberate choice of unqualified leadership is sinful. 
It is sinful. It is a sin to willfully put into position of leadership people that you already know do not qualify there. That's why it matters. It's not about the effects. It's not about the church may, may go in the wrong direction or the workplace may not function. It's the fact that it is a sin to do that willfully. Notice here that Jotham has finished his parable. Now he turns to the interpretation in verse 16 to verse 20. Let's just read those verses. Look at that. Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubel and his house, and have done to him as his deeds deserve, if you've been fair to him, for my father fought for you, and risked his life, and delivered you from the hand of Midian. And you have risen up against my father's house this day, and have killed his sons, seventy men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem. Because he is your relative. If you have then acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubel and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milon. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milon and devour Abimelech. What is he saying? Well, the key phrase in this long passage is good faith and integrity. When you come to a passage like that, notice what's repeated there. We will see it in verse 16. It says, if you acted in good faith and integrity. We see it again in verse 19. If then you have acted in good faith and integrity. What Jotham is saying to the leaders of Shechem that is that the leader should be chosen in a well-intentioned, thoughtful, and sincere manner, not through underhand method. And choosing a leader in any area of our life should not be about experience and self-interest. Leaders should be chosen because God wants them there. The problem is that, as you know from this morning, the leaders of Shechem have chosen a murderer to lead them out of Self-interest. Abimelech has been crowned in guilt and shame. Look at verse 16 again there. Verse 16 reminds us of the shame. They have dealt well with Jeroboam and his ass. No, they haven't. Verse 19 explains why they haven't. Because how, how does that? He says, verse 17, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian. But they have not done that. What they've done is they have now, verse 18, uh, he said, and you have risen up against my father's house. They are basically saying, look, Abimelech has killed and made a very one. But we have a chat with, brother, uh, with brother, my dear brother Rob about this verse, about the stone. Fantastic reflections on that. I've been pondering on it the whole afternoon. What's happening here is that Abimelech, of course, has, 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 has brought terrible evil to Israel. And they have broken his faith. Uh, he has broken faith with God there because what has he done? These leaders have sponsored him. They have risen up against my father's house and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the leaders of Shechem. 
70, of course, is a number that Abimelech intended to kill. Uh, metaphorically speaking, Jotham is already dead, really, because the intention was to kill him, but he has escaped. Abimelech is not qualified to lead, but they have made him king. And Jotham now pronounces that curse in verse 20. And we see that curse that he pronounced about fire coming out of Abimelech to consume them and to consume Abimelech. We see that this fire is talking about is really the fire of God's judgment because they have not followed God's leading. Do you notice verse 7 says this? It says, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And we see later on that what Jotham has spoken will come to pass. His prophecy about their action will be fulfilled. In Judges chapter 9, verse 56 to 57 there, you notice, if you just glanced over towards the end, this is a forward preview. This is what happens. This is how Abimelech's story ends. We'll see it in two weeks' time. In the evening, he says, Does God return the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers? And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubel. The key message is here, therefore, is simple. It is a sin to willfully or deliberately choose unqualified leaders. And that raises a very important question. Who would do such a thing? I mean, if all of us agree it's a sin, then do we do that? Well, the answer is that all of us are tempted to choose unqualified leaders. And we do this in a very subtle way. It's very easy for us to vote for politicians, not based on their moral integrity, but on their economic policies. We do not always vote based on people of good faith, or based on good faith and integrity, no. Our actions are driven by self-interest. Who will reduce the taxes? Rather than the individual integrity of the politician, or should I even say, the, the moral integrity of the political party itself. I've been very interested to see, particularly in the UK here, that like in this area, the MP has always been conservative, or something like that. There are many areas. I, many people around the country, they, what the principles we're talking about, just, they're not things they think about. The reason the seats don't move quite often is because people choose out of experience rather than thinking about the integrity of the individual. So it's not possible for this area, for example, to have a Labour MP. I'm not saying we should have one. Even if the Labour MP was a Christian, yeah? Oh, of course, you would raise questions about how does a Christian belong to Labour, but I'm not making any comments around that. I'm simply saying that we tend to choose many, even vote, out of self-interest rather than serious consideration of moral issues. It is easy for us to simply vote for a party because my granddad has always voted for such a party. Or to vote tactically, as some people do, rather than faithfully. I should say, just my own position is that it is a sin to vote tactically. 
Based on my study of this passage, I would say this passage is challenging us that our choice of leaders must always be positive rather than expedient. It must always be positive rather than tactical. We should always vote for someone out of good faith and integrity in our assessment of that individual. You see, it is easy for us, not only in the arena of politics, but also in the arena of work. It is easy for us to support leaders at our workplaces because we are friends with that person rather than care about their qualification to do that particular thing. And I know that from my own time in the work, in the world of work, how easy it is just to over lunch to say, oh, I think you should lead on this because, well, I'm comfortable with you. Rather than sitting down and thinking, is this person qualified to do it? Are they the best person for that? We, you see, find ourselves very acting with nepotism in, in ways that we might not imagine. It is easy for us in church to appoint someone to a role because they give us a nice Christmas card. They're just nice. They say hello to us and they pray for us, they call us. And when their name is put forward for something, we're happy just to turn a blind eye to whether they are seriously qualified. And for me, as a pastor, something I have to think about because a lot of men may be a person who disagrees with me on many issues. But you see, when we're not thinking from the Lord's principles, we'll find ourselves acting and choosing unqualified people in areas of ministry. And sometimes, of course, we, are, we choose unqualified leaders out of fear. We do not want to tell Abimelech he's not qualified to lead a ministry in the church because we want to keep everyone on board. Can you imagine? I, I was thinking about this. Perhaps there was someone there among the leaders of Shechem who perhaps just wasn't happy with Abimelech for some reason and he had doubt, but of course... He went along and just did it out of fear. And in churches sometimes we find ourselves cornered to put people in unqualified positions because there are difficult issues we don't want to deal with. And often we put people in unqualified positions of leadership at church because we are desperate for someone to do it. We, we really need a pianist, Okay. But what happens if the pianist is an atheist who turns up and they are just not interested in God whatsoever? They have to play for us for a few hours and maybe we think by them sitting in the heaven. But when they're out there, they just speak evil things about the work of God. What happens? We may feel the pressure to have such a pianist. Sometimes we feel pressure to, because there are many gaps in church life. We need a, we need a treasurer, we need a new elder. And the pressure for all of that sort of thing is to end up putting people there who are not qualified. It is easy, friends, to turn a blind eye willfully to people who are not qualified. Why am I belaboring this point? I'm simply saying, as you reflect on this point, you realize that these are temptations all of us face, the temptations that I face, the temptations you face in whatever area God has placed you. 
But we need to remember if we're doing that, it is a sin. And if we're doing, if we're tolerating unqualified leaders out of personal experience, we need to repent of that. In every area God has blessed us. We should not bury our heads in the sand like the leaders of Shechem. Look what they do in verse 21. They scared Jotham away. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. These guys are not interested in these principles we're talking about. They're not interested in, in, in Jotham's sermon. They're burying their heads in the sand. The question is, does that matter? Does it matter? Yes, it does. And we've seen because it is a sin how they've acted. This brings us to the final point that Jotham makes here. How then do we choose leaders? That's the question we started off with. How should we choose leaders? We've seen what we are not supposed to do, but how should we then go about choosing leaders? Where's our final observation? We must look to God. We must look to God. The practical direction that Jotham gives us is simple. Look at verse 7 again. What does Jotham said when it was told to Jotham? He went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. He is calling on the leaders of Shechem to hear his words as the very words of God. You see, if the leaders of Shechem listen to Jotham and change their ways, perhaps God may relent and not bring disaster. If they can stand against the Bimelech, perhaps what is coming in chapter 9, the disaster may not come. But they have chosen to ignore Jotham. Jotham is a courageous divine instrument directing all the people to look to God for answers, not our own flesh. He says, look to God for his leadership. Choose to be led by God. And out of being led by God will flow that relationship that will then in turn enable you to choose leaders that honor him. And you know the good news about God's leadership? The good news is that God has not just given us a list of rules, qualifications for ideal leaders to have. God himself has come down in the person of Jesus. And we've been seeing through our judges is that we're discussing more of that uh, over lunch with Brother Rob. Judges is all about God preparing the people, you see, for the arrival of Messiah Jesus. And within judges, we have all these types, all these characters that are constantly pointing to him. Things happening, name places, people, events, all of them pointing forward to the Lord Emmanuel himself. God with us. You see, in Jesus, we see the reflection of all the judges. And the devoted leadership of Othaniel, the courageous leadership of Ayud, the powerful leadership of Shamgar, and of course the faithful leadership of Deborah. And we might even say the ingenious leadership of Gideon. But when we think of all these types, we think they're just like, we're looking at Jesus like a diamond, isn't it? And there's so many sides to these diamonds that we see shades of that diamond throughout judges in these men. And one woman. And if it were two women, if we include Jehel. We see all of these types pointing us forward to Jesus. The ultimate leader. And when we come to Isaiah, Isaiah has those wonderful words in Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. He says, for to us a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of 
peace. So we can look to Jesus for his leadership. On him, on, we, on him, isn't it? Oh, oh, because Isaiah goes on, of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus has come, our leader. You see, the problem with our choice of leaders, friends, is that it is essentially a problem of lordship. It's a lordship problem. We all have a tendency to place our hope and trust in those people we choose. This is even true for us as followers of Jesus. This is why that our choice of leaders must start from that total surrender of our lives to Christ. Total surrender of, of our lives to his leadership. And when we do that, when we do that, when we surrender to him as our leader, he will then equip us by his spirit to choose leaders that honor him. The Spirit of God and the Word of God will direct our paths. So come to Him afresh today. Surrender to His leadership and ask Him to help you and this church choose leaders that honor Him. Amen.